Evolutionists use a variety of methods in order to make their belief system appear scientific. In an effort to prove that different organisms, such as man and apes, are related, they use something called molecular clocks. We'll tell you about it next. It looks like a house of cards because we have assumptions built on top of assumptions. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. So how do you convince people that they share a common ancestor with apes? Evolutionary scientists attempt this by using a so-called molecular clock. This idea is based on evolutionary assumptions in mutation rates and fossil dates. But does it really work? Why not spend the next 15 minutes with us as we explain the molecular clock and the calculations used to make it tick? So what exactly is a molecular clock? Dr. David DeWitt, professor of biology at Liberty University in Virginia, explains. The molecular clock hypothesis, based on evolutionary assumptions, is a model to determine the date at which two or more organisms last shared a common ancestor. The approach is to compare protein amino acid sequences or DNA nucleotide sequences from two or more organisms. Assuming that random mutations accumulate at a constant rate over thousands to millions of years, scientists believe that they can use these sequence changes as clock ticks to determine how much time has passed since two individuals or two different species last had a common ancestor. Dr. Kevin Anderson is a molecular biologist and director of Creation Research Society's Van Andel Creation Research Center in Arizona. He tells us how this clock works. The molecular clock is based upon the idea that I can take a particular protein, for example, and of course cytochrome C is a very common one that's been studied for a long time, and I can measure then the mutational change that occurs in that protein generation after generation. And then I can take and I can extrapolate that backward and I can say, okay, look, there was a point in time where the cytochrome C of organism A was the same as the cytochrome C of organism B. And as an evolutionist, I would say, ah, that's the point in time where organism A and B were of the same ancestor. That's where they diverged evolutionarily. And then they present that and they say, okay, see, obviously these molecules have evolved from each other. Obviously the molecules of humans and molecules of chimpanzees have all come from a common ancestor and we can take a molecular clock and we can go backwards and we can determine when that common ancestor was. But because mutation rates are not consistent throughout time, evolutionary scientists turn to the fossil record to adjust their molecular clock. Clearly you can't say that the mutation rate today is the same as the mutation rate was 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, you know, 4,000 years ago, or for them, based on their time scale, a million years ago or 100 million years ago. You can't say that the mutation rate's the same. But if the mutation rate varied a lot, then how's your molecular clock going to work? Because then all of a sudden you introduce all of these variables in there where maybe there's a period of time the mutation rate is much higher or much lower. Well, how do you know? So suddenly that throws your clock way off. Well, that comes back to you calibrate based on the fossil record, and that accounts for that. That's how, again, they introduce the evolutionary fudge factor to account for potential variations in mutation rate. But, as I say then, if you calibrate based on the fossil record, then don't be surprised if it looks like the fossil record because that's what you forced it to be. You've made the data come out that way. 
ICR molecular biologist Dr. Dan Criswell says the molecular clock is based on two really big assumptions. It's calibrated and based on the fossil record. In other words, we're assuming that evolution has taken place and that based on the fossil record, we should be able to get some dates from the molecular clocks of these organisms. We should be able to validate the time it took to diverge. The other assumption is that these genes that are orthologous, they're the same in chimpanzees as humans, they produce the same protein, does the same function. There's an assumption that those genes evolved from a common ancestor. Just like chimpanzees and humans evolved from a common ancestor, then all of their genes had to evolve from a common ancestor. So as those genes have evolved, they've acquired differences in their sequence. And so what the molecular clock is trying to determine is how long has it taken for those differences in those sequences to diverge. So that's the second assumption. So an assumption that the fossil record does tell us, you know, how many millions of years ago organisms diverged and that the molecular clock assumes genes have evolved and can validate that these organisms evolved over millions of years. What's even more interesting and confusing about these molecular clocks is that scientists will use data from different organisms to find the date in which the organisms in question diverged from a common ancestor. Dr. DeWitt. What becomes apparent after investigating molecular clocks is that they are often built assumption on top of assumption. A recent study published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Science estimated a chimp-human divergence date of 5.3 million years ago. However, this was based on assuming these split off from the orangutans 13 million years ago. But what's the reason for assuming 13 million years? Well, other molecular clock studies calibrate their rate based on still other organisms, such as the divergent date of primates from ungulates 65 million years ago. It begins to look like a house of cards. It looks like a house of cards because they have assumptions built on top of assumptions on top of assumptions, and so if the one card falls out from the bottom, the whole thing collapses. In other words, the molecular clock idea is built upon guesswork and speculation. Dr. Anderson. There's no way to truly calibrate it because to truly calibrate it, you would have to have, you know, someone go back in the past, shall we say, and collect samples and then collect samples all along the way to give you various points on the chart. And then you could draw a nice straight line through a lot of different points. But if you're talking about just one point and extrapolating backwards, I mean, any scientist knows that you dare not extrapolate beyond your data, but that's exactly what they have to do because we don't have DNA from creatures that lived, you know, by their claim anyway, creatures that lived 50, 100 million years ago. And yet that's what it would take would be samples all along the way in order to truly have data to fit the curve. So it comes back again, you use the fossil record to generate the curve. But even in using the fossil record with an evolutionary time frame to modify the molecular clock, Dr. Criswell points out that specific fossil dates do not match the molecular ones. The molecular clocks don't match the fossil record, and frequently they also don't match the 
physiology of the animals as well. And so the shape of the animals, you know, they're saying, well, this limb had to evolve from that limb at a certain time, and then they look at the molecular clock, it doesn't match, the fossil record doesn't match, and so you have all three different, the fossil record, phylogeny, and the molecular clock, and all three of them won't match. But now the molecular biologists are using molecular clocks to give the dates. You have the paleontologists using the fossil record, and both camps are arguing back and forth over which one is correct. But because of their firm belief in evolution, conventional scientists consider molecular clocks to be accurate, even though there are no facts to back up this claim. It's an assumption to us. To them, it's, well, this is what happened, so we can use this. So again, it, it just comes on the idea that, well, evolution is true. It's a fact, so we can do this. And they do it. Dr. DeWitt. They're really just taking for granted that humans and chimps and everything else came from a common ancestor. They're using evolutionary assumptions as a framework to prove evolution, which is begging the question. The molecular clock hypothesis can be very confusing to the average person. And although creationists say the way the clock is calculated and adjusted is bad science, Dr. Criswell says if you have an evolutionary mindset, it's not so hard to understand the concept. If you assume evolution, this makes sense, that these differences in gene sequence would have evolved from a common ancestor, especially since we know that genes do mutate. I mean, you can't introduce changes. So that would make sense. Plus, there's there's a pretty good pattern here that chimpanzee and human genes, for example, cytochrome C, are very similar, very close. So the question arises as to why certain proteins in humans and animals are the same. Does this give validity to evolution? Dr. Criswell says no and points out that God made these proteins similar because of their roles within the cell. They do the same function. So right off the bat, you know that they have to be similar. So cytochrome C in humans, carp, chimpanzees, horses, dogs, fruit flies, whatever, it all has the same role. So it's, there's going to be some similarity. The differences are a result of they do the same function, but they work in a different environment. And although some similar protein molecules may be found in humans and animals, they take on different forms in each organism. That molecule has to be folded into a functional shape. I think this is one thing people don't realize is that protein has to be in the correct shape. If it's not in the correct shape, it's not going to work correctly. So the, the differences in the sequence enable it to work in a different environment and perform the same function. That has got to be one of the reasons, or one of the more important reasons, why you see a difference in sequences for the same proteins in different organisms. Even though evolutionists may use molecular clocks and other means to try to convince people that they share a common ancestor with apes, this is just simply not the case. Dr. DeWitt. Creationists reject the notion that these wide variety of organisms, such as humans and chimpanzees, have in fact come from common ancestors. Instead, God created different kinds of organisms, and they have reproduced after their kinds. While we may find similarities in protein sequences 
genes. This is because they have a common designer, not a common ancestor. Because a molecular clock from different organisms is based on evolutionary assumptions, it's invalid. And the truth of the Bible still rings through loud and clear. Humans and apes have never shared a common ancestor. God made man in the image of God. And even more significantly for us, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, when He came to earth, He didn't come as a bacteria, an amoeba, a dog, a fish, or a monkey. He came as a man to redeem man. And for this I rejoice. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.